2: Welcome in to Utah as well. Tom, Steve, Bartle. Bartle, this is uh, starting to concern me a bit. Um, Every week we get on the podcast and uh, you tell us you're coming home and you're not home yet. You're in Arizona still, dude.
1: Still in Arizona. I'm not, you know, I haven't added enough color to the skin tone. You know, I'm still pretty pasty white, so... Until I add a little, a little color, a little more complexion, you know, to the skin here, I'm I'm gonna stick down here. But no, we we are we have made the decision. We're gonna come home this weekend, so we'll be home next week when we do the podcast. We will not be uh, sticking around here, in Arizona, for another week or so. We okay. will be home.
2: All right. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, you're starting to worry. I me now. Like-
1: I get it. Are you too scared
2: to tell us you're getting some job interviews down there? You're not coming back. What's
1: the deal? It's, uh, you know, the drive is pretty daunting. I think that's what it is more than anything is that drive is pretty intimidating. You get the hour back, you know, when you come from Utah, when you're going to Arizona, you gain an hour. But when you drive back to Utah, you lose that hour. So it's like, you know, it's, it's pretty awful. So that drive is going to be rough. Uh, We'll be making it Saturday and, you know, any uh, any good vibes sent our way would be much appreciated.
2: <laughs> we'll uh, we'll we'll be thinking of you. Yeah, you know, out here in 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 Salt Lake City, and uh, drink lots of energy drinks or, uh, or coffee or whatever you're into, and uh, and I think you'll be just fine. But uh, regardless, we've got a fun show for you. Obviously, draft recap, um, and then I think conversation from there will kind of flow. Um, how far, how far really is the University of Utah football program from being a perennial powerhouse? Uh, I, I, I like that conversation. I think it's fun. It's yeah. intriguing. We can go and take that in, in a number of different ways. Uh, and then, of course, the 04 versus 08 debate. will tell you a little bit about that. It, it went down yesterday on KSL uh, on Sports' Facebook page and YouTube platform. I know you guys uh, over at... Ute Zone, Steve, had a uh, had a message board going with, with a ton of your fanatics kind of mm-hmm. sharing their opinion as well. We can uh, we can discuss that, although I will say with the 04 and 08 debate, so here's the deal. Uh, I, I, I didn't know what American football was in 04 or 08. Uh, you were around in 04, Steve, you, know, mm-hmm. you but you were only 12. You were a 12-year-old, uh, and then in 08, you you're on your mission.
1: Yep. Uh, you know, so didn't didn't have a great idea of, of what those teams were about. I, you know, I'll admit, you know, to our, our KSL audience, I did watch the Sugar Bowl on my mission. I am not afraid to admit that. I did watch it multiple times, in fact. Uh, so I have a pretty good recollection of the Sugar Bowl game itself. Uh, but in terms of the entire season, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm with you. I did look it up online, though, and it uh... – Anyway, I, I do have an opinion, although I, I you know, I, like I said, I wasn't around. Sure. So just sure. Take it with a grain of salt. If you disagree, yeah. please don't sh- uh, uh, hate tweet me because uh, I really don't care. At the end of the day, it's 2020, <laughs> not 2008 anymore. Anywho, uh, the NFL draft, Steve. We'll start there. Seven Utes taken. Six defensive players. One, the the, the lone offensive player, of course, Zach Mossy was the second Ute. T- uh, no. A third, Ute taken off the board. I should third, say. yeah, because yeah, Julian Blackman, boy, that's a conversation we need to have. Um, but at the end of the day, it was a pretty good. I know we both predicted nine utes going. We were predicting that Utah was going to break the record. They uh, they weren't quite able to do that. But uh, before we kind of get into the into the weeds of of, of how it went down and uh, the manner in which Utahns were taken off the board, were you were you happy? Were,
1: did you did you enjoy what you saw? Yeah, you know, I was uh I had to watch the draft each and every pick because, you know, I was I was going through the process of photo editing, you know, and and making these edits and so I had to watch each pick and it, it got a little grueling, you know, as you're waiting for the first Ute to be taken with Jalen Johnson, you know, waiting till pick fifty. But after that, you know, once the pick started coming in, it was a lot of fun to you know, see their reactions and see, you know, just the, the relief, the joy that they felt as, you know, they got that call from GMs and coaches, you know, and they, they heard that they were going to be drafted. It was really cool to share those experiences, you know, with the Utah players as, you know, each of them, you know, had video of what they were doing and, you know, with their families and that kind of thing. And so it was really cool to see that aspect of it, and really, when you look back at where these guys landed, I really love each of these picks and where they're going. I think each one um, is a meaningful pick and a valuable pick. Uh, you know, you look at the Bears who, under Chuck Pagano, are kind of transitioning from maybe as a zone-based team to now more of a man, press man type of a scheme. And you, you draft Jalen Johnson with the 50th pick. That's that's a valuable pick to use on a player and and it speaks a lot to what they hope he'll bring to the to the organization and to the defense. You look at Lucky Foto going to Arizona, you know, despite him going in the 4th round, Arizona struggled to stop the ball, to stop the running game in particular on the defense side of the ball. That's a big strength, you know, for for Lucky Foto and and he's going to go there and he's going to be he's going to play a, a really important role for their turnaround, for their hopeful turnaround on the defense side of the ball. You look at Julian Blackman going to the Indiana Indianapolis Colts. Uh, the, the Colts are looking to move both of their current safeties uh, there in Indianapolis. And so you bring in Jaylen, uh, Julian Blackman, uh, just a, a great fit there. And then obviously Zach Moss and everybody else. Just I really love the fit for each of these players and where they're going. I, I think it speaks to uh, – th- what those organizations expect of those players, uh, and I think each of one, each one of them, found themselves in, a, in just a great, great spot.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree wholeheartedly. You you look at um, the breakdown of 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 the draft, and Utah had one, at least one player drafted in every round but two. The first round they didn't have anybody selected. The seventh round, mm-hmm. uh, ironically and fascinating. Fascinating enough, they, they didn't have one either. So, Jalen in the second, Julian and, and Zach and Terrell went third, mm-hmm. Lucky in the fourth, Bradley in the fifth, and then John Pennacini in the sixth. I guess, you know, there were two really big talking points for me that I'd love for you to, uh, to kind of continue to harp on. Steve is, is the first one. Julian Blackburn was the second you'd taken off the board despite tearing his ACL in the Pac 12 championship game. I just have to, I, I have to wonder um, whether or not this whole pandemic. Uh, and the thought that maybe the NFL football season might not get started uh, when when it normally would, and it might be postponed, maybe that had something to do with it. Uh, because boy, when he tore that ACL, I thought that there was a there was a red hot chance he would drop, you know, way deep into into kind of the, the deeper rounds, the sixth and seventh round. He went in the third in the end, which was which was great. You know, I'm not I was saying I'm, yeah. I'm stoked for him. And then Bradley and I fell all the way to the fifth round what do you make of those two picks?
1: Yeah, really, really surprising. I think more so for Bradley falling all the way to almost the sixth round. You know, I think that was probably the biggest surprise because many had him projected as you know a top one hundred player uh, in terms of how they evaluated the the prospects in this draft. And so to see him go all the way to uh, to one seventy nine with Dallas, and I think you know again it sucks to see him fall to that spot, but I think he landed in a great spot. There with Dallas, who where they're going to need to retool their defense a little bit and and add some pass rushing um, to complement what's his face Lawrence. I can't remember his first name, uh, Demarcus Lawrence, who's who's their star defense been there in in Dallas. But um, you know, really, really surprising to see him fall. And I think uh, there wasn't any real red flag. With, with Bradley in terms of injury or, or, or that kind of thing. I think organizations really just did not like his measurables. And it, it, it hurts to say that, but these NFL organizations are so picky in terms of the prospects um, that they are willing to invest this type of money. And I think that's the thing to always remember is they're investing two to three, sometimes $4 million dollars, even into these late-round picks, that's a lot of money to invest, even for the NFL and these NFL owners who are you know, multi-billionaires, got money to spread it, That's still a hefty investment, and and you want to make sure that you maximize that investment. And so it, it, it sucks, but I think he's going to prove a, a lot of those coaches, a lot of those organizations wrong. It's super surprising to see him fall. But on the flip side of that, seeing Julian Blackman go in the third – was a a delightful surprise to say the least. I think Morgan Scali called it before the draft that he was going to be selected earlier than most projected. Um, You know, and it speaks to his game and what he'll bring to the team when he's healthy. It's unfortunate that he suffered the injury when he did. I think the timing of it um, more so than anything hurt him. Uh, He wasn't able to test uh, at all athletically. But Utah, you know, they keep – and you can speak to this – They keep track of athletic testing throughout their career, and they had numbers to to back up Julian's tape. Um, And so there's a lot of intrigue uh, with with Julian Blackman because this was his first year as a safety. Yes, he struggled against USC, and I think most Utah fans will point to that game first, is that he struggled there. But if you go throughout the rest of the season, he made progress, he improved. He was quite the ball hawk in the Washington game, um, you know, and showed those flashes and of his potential. And so I think uh, Indianapolis, you know, again, like I said earlier, they want to move off of their two current safeties uh, that they have starting in their defense right now, want to add a little bit more uh, range in the defensive secondary. And I think Julian Blackman is a great fit uh, for that type of a role in, in any defense.
2: A couple things worth, uh, worth noting is uh, Coach Whittingham after the USC game, Steve, admitted to me that Julian Blackman was, was nowhere near 100%. He suffered a, a minor knee strain a week or two prior to the game. And uh, it was evident, you know, there were a number of jump balls between himself and Michael Pittman Jr. that, mm-hmm. um, that he would have had a, an impact on, potentially would have intercepted the pass instead. He, he just didn't quite have that explosive power to, uh, to get high enough and, mm-hmm. uh, and affect what uh, what ended up being, you know, a big, big game for Michael Pittman Jr. So he was at about 70%, 75% is what Coach Witt told me after immediately following that USC game in the locker room. So uh, hopefully, the, you know, I guess the NFL scouts kind of saw that and, and and they trusted Julian. I'm sure they spoke to Coach Wittingham about uh, that as well. But
1: uh, yeah, you know, I, and, I, I, and, go ahead. And to your point, And to your point, you know, I was – I spent last summer – uh, with the scouting academy, which is uh, is developed by a former NFL scout who spent time with the Eagles and Giants and all uh, you know a, a number of organizations, and and what they the thing that they harped on first and foremost is that context matters, and when you're talking about evaluating a prospect, context whether it be injuries, what's going on in their in their life, you know whatever it may be, context holds weight in evaluations, and I think this just adds to that point with you know, what you're, what you're sharing about Julian, that he was only about 70% in that USC game. That matters to NFL uh, scouts and, and evaluators. You know, that type of stuff, that information is definitely beneficial because it helps their projection, you know, moving forward. Sure.
2: And like these NFL guys, you know, they don't start breaking down film and, and evaluating these, these prospects following their, their senior or junior season if they declare early. This is a process that starts really really early and i think much earlier than a lot of fans realize so following your junior season all juniors you know assuming you're coming back for your senior year they actually have nfl scouts come in and take some measurables of, of every junior across the entire country they'll do uh, kind of your wingspan they'll measure your, your your hand size they'll 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 take you through a kind of a you know a height measurement just really basic mm-hmm. stuff they don't put you through any stress they don't make you jump or anything but um uh, but, but they, they, they kind of get the numbers early and then from there they can, they can evaluate and, and further develop who they're more interested in. And, uh, and so it is a very, it's a long process and uh, this is something mm-hmm. that, that goes on for a number of years. Like I, I, I can guarantee you Jalen Johnson has had scouts kind of eyeing him the second he, he started to make an impact on the University of Utah uh, back in his freshman year, you know, and they were just kind of waiting. Uh, Penny Sewell up there in Oregon, the the local kid, uh, he's a, he's a top to me. He's going to go second in the draft next year, only behind Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback out of mm-hmm. Clemson. And I guarantee you, these NFL GMs and scouts and and coaches are just looking their chops, thinking the um, that maybe they'll get themselves, you know, a a formidable left tackle next year. So this is the process that goes on for quite some time. I agree with Bradley and I on what you mentioned regarding the measurables. That was my concern going into this whole thing for Bradley. I thought, you know, he is a little undersized when you look at defensive ends in the, in the National Football League, and I thought maybe that would have a play. But then, you know, he he, he tested pretty well um, at the Combine. And then in the Senior Bowl, he, he, he tore up the competition and he was going up against, um, you know, guys that were projected to be to be top draft picks. So I thought, wow, you know, that, uh, that was kind of the biggest surprise to me was why, you know, how, how did he fall to, to right. late in the fifth round? That didn't make any sense to me. But I think the Cowboys... Got to steal. Hey, you know who I was so thrilled for? I was just honestly, I was rapt for. And he, was, I was probably the happiest when I heard that this individual ended up getting selected. It was, it was John Pennacini. I, I was yeah. just, I really, I was so happy for him because he's the nicest individual. You know, him and Lecky Fotu are like two peas in a pod. They get along really well. They're best friends. Uh, I think they used to live together when they were in college. And uh, he has a smile on his face constantly. Um, and he's infectious. His personality is infectious. Uh, and I don't know if that's why he ended up getting taken in the sixth round. Um, a bit higher than what you and I both thought he would, he would end up mm-hmm. getting taken. But uh, I was so, so happy for him. Kind of this underdog story, this Cinderella story, if you will, from the University of Utah. He, he He's productive. He's fearless. He's aggressive. He's a, he's a true run stopper. And, uh, and I think the lions are going to be wrapped with, uh, with what he's all about, you know, will he have an impact for the lions come, uh, year one, you know, I'm, I don't necessarily know if he's going to, if he's going to do that, but, uh, but boy, I was just, you know, I'm, I'm always happy for anybody that that's just a good person at the end of the day, you know, good yeah. people deserve good things. And John Panasini is as good of a man as you will find. So I was, uh, I was stoked for him, Steve.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Can't can't disagree there. John Pinacini, you know, he was a guy that just his laugh, his smile, like when he's not on the field just clubbing offensive linemen and, and throwing them around, like he is laughing, he's joking around, like he's that type of guy. And it was really cool to see that. A bit surprising, you know, a little, a little shocking to see his name come across the board, especially, you know, when we had talked about Francis Bernard or Javelin Guidry and those kind of guys uh, being, being selected. Yeah. John Penasini was always just kind of, you know, I hate to say, it, but was, you know, it, we were more hopeful he would be selected than, than confident, I would say. And so to see him, you know, get drafted was, uh, just, it was really cool, really rewarding to see that just like it was for, for all the others. But, you know, some guys deserve it a little bit more and I would say John was definitely deserving, uh, of, of being drafted just because of the type of person that he is and, and the work ethic that he, that he brings to the table. Uh, just uh, real cool to see that for him. And, you know, even though it was, you know, six round, who cares, right? Like there are 255 players selected in, in the draft. There are a thousand prospects each and every year. And so to, to be one of those 255 is quite the honor. So pretty cool for him.
2: I agree. Hey, uh, quickly, do do you reckon, Chaplin G- Guidry regrets declined for the NFL drive.
1: Man, that is uh, that is an interesting debate. You know, he, uh, he did sign with the New York Jets, uh, you know, and unfortunately his contract details didn't include any guaranteed money, which is kind of worrisome uh, about his ability to stick around in the NFL. Um, you know, when you compare that to Tyler Huntley who got – a $5,000 signing bonus, 30,000 guaranteed. Francis Bernard got a hundred thousand guaranteed, which really speaks to uh, the Dallas Cowboys uh, and how much they value Bernard. Uh, so a little worrisome there to say the least in terms of Jav. if he stays at Utah, does that help him next year with his draft stock? You know, I don't know. Um, I, I think for Javelin, I think he felt that this was as good as it was going to get maybe. And that's why he elected to, to declare for the draft early. Um, But will he regret it? Man, that's so tough to say, right? Like you, you want these guys to cash out and because you know, football careers are short and your window of opportunity is so limited. Um, You know, it's tough. It's tough, tough situation for him to be in. Um, you know, I, I think Utah would have loved to have him back. And I think he, you know, he would have had another year to really kind of hone in his technique. Um, you know, he was in great position throughout the year, most of the year. Uh, unfortunately he just got, uh, beat a couple times in some key games this year, but, uh, that's, that's the life of a, of a nickelback is you're going to be, uh, you've got a, a tough, tough position to defend, but, uh, man, d- whether he regrets it or not. Maybe he does. But man, I, I honestly don't know how much he could have helped himself next year.
2: Yeah, no, I yeah, I guess we'll never know. I, one yeah. of the reasons I thought yeah. one of the reasons I thought maybe he probably does regret it. Um, and I guess the only reason would be for me that he he would have probably been the leader of the entire Utah yeah. defense next year. And yeah. I don't know if the Utah defense this upcoming season Whenever that ends up taking place, I don't know if they're going to be that great. They don't. They normally are. They normally prove all the doubters wrong. But at the end of the day, he was the most experienced veteran uh, expected to return, and he didn't. So um, that—that's really my only thought was. Yeah. Was he would have had you know he would have had a lot of responsibility um, to to make plays and 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 to limit you know some of the opposing team's most most explosive. Offensive weapons, whoever whoever he was going up against in the slot, maybe they would have pushed him to the outside, uh, and he would have showcased that. Maybe they push him to safety. You know, we've seen Coach Whittingham, Morgan Scully, do that uh, on a number of occasions. Eric Rowe uh, comes to mind, of course, uh, the safety turned cornerback, and then you mentioned earlier in the podcast, obviously Julian Blackman going from cornerback to safety. So, um, I, I I still think he sticks in the NFL. I don't know if he sticks with the Jets. I just think it's speed. Uh, is, is, is elusive, uh, it's hard to come by, you know, you can't teach that sort of speed. And um, and I think, you know, regardless if he, if he ends up making it on the defensive side of the ball, I think from a special team standpoint, he'll, he'll find a way to make a 53-man roster at some point in his career because uh, speed kills at the end of the yeah. day. And, uh, and he, he sure has that. So uh, exciting. It's, it's exciting for you to... Now, one thought I had, uh, Mr. Bartle... Uh, following the draft was that this is starting to become a trend for the University of Utah. Now, the University of Utah, if you kind of if you kind of break down the years, they're on this upward they're uh, upward trajectory, um, mm-hmm. which is good. You know, I'm not saying this is this is a bad thing. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. but they're constantly getting a lot of guys drafted, which is impressive. I think they ended up, if I'm not mistaken, with the fourth most draft picks in the 2020 NFL draft behind the likes of LSU. Alabama and I think Ohio State, and then it was Utah, which is remarkable, right? So they have put themselves in this this very unique category that uh, not many college football programs can can boast. But mm-hmm. but my biggest concern would be, and and for for Utah to make that jump, right? The jump from being a good football team that very few people in the country want to play to a perennial powerhouse like the Alabamas, Ohio States, Clemson's of the world, they need more offensive players drafted they, they, because they constantly are producing defensive players and the NFL is starting to catch on uh, and it's showing because they're getting, they're getting a lot of guys drafted, as I mentioned. But they're not getting that many offensive guys drafted, Steve. So I guess you know, the loaded question, and, and you might not have an answer to it, I don't know, how on earth does Utah find a way to get more offensive guys drafted. Because here's the deal. If you can find a way to get more offensive guys drafted, the chances of you getting higher recruits out of high school with more stars next to their name on the offensive side of the ball goes up a ton. We know that when Utah goes to pitch to a lot of these team, a lot of these prospects out of high school, they say, look at how many draft picks we've had. Now, if, if you were a high school kid and you heard that pitch and you played on the offensive side of the ball, I'm not a rocket science, but you'd kind of go – down and break down kind of what position groups are the University of Utah getting drafted and you'd notice the vast majority of them are coming on the defensive side as an offensive prospect coming out of high school it it's probably somewhat concerning and a little bit daunting to look at those numbers and say well you know a wide, I don't know the last time a wide receiver was drafted uh, quite frankly and and that needs to change. If Utah wants to take that next jump, how do they do that, Steve?
1: You know that's that's such a great point because when you look at the draft, I think you don't see a quarterback, you don't see a receiver, and you don't see a tight end. Right? Those are those are three skill positions where Utah hasn't had a draft pick um, in quite some time, or at least they're not known for it. Right? They've they've right. had offensive linemen drafted, they've had running backs drafted, um, and so they they have an identity there that they can build on with the running game. Um, But how do they get a quarterback, a receiver, a tight end draft? And I think they are in a great situation right now with the roster and who is currently on the roster uh, over the next year, over the next two years to produce NFL talent from those offensive skill positions. I think Utah has a great opportunity in front of them. Uh, If – They embrace, you know, the offensive game a little bit more. And I think Whittingham has shown that, you know, he can be aggressive. He can be a little bit more open uh, to being aggressive on offense and that kind of thing. I think with the talent that they have in the program, you know, with the quarterback competition, first and foremost, you've got Jake Bentley, a transfer from South Carolina, as well as Cameron Rising, Drew Lisk, and, and the other guys. Uh, you know, you've got a good good competition there, and whoever wins that job is, is you know, we'll see what happens. Then you've got a, a bunch of talent returning in the wide receiving corps, right? So you've got talent there. You've got production. You've got talent and potential. Britton Covey is returning, so you add an explosive playmaker there as well. And then tied in with Brant Keithy and Cole Fotheringham, um, you know, you've got some some playmakers, and I think if – if Andy Ludwig and Kyle Whittingham are being honest with themselves, I think they need to take advantage of these guys while they're here in order to, you know, elevate, you know, to that next tier to take that next step as a program because you have to be able to produce an equal amount of talent um, throughout the roster. You know, when when talking about developing talent to the NFL, you don't want to get pegged as just a, a defensive only type of a program, which is where Utah has built. Uh, this program is on the defense side of the ball, and that will always be the primary focus. But you've got to take advantage of this opportunity. you got to be able to put some points on the board to to get these offensive guys uh, in positions where they can make plays, where they can showcase their ability uh, because they have the talent. They have the, the, the right players. Uh, it's We're getting into year two now of offense under Andy Ludwig. And I think if they're able to do this, if they're able to take advantage of the offense and the guys that they have in the program over the next year or two uh, and really kind of take a big step forward on the offensive side of the ball, uh, the future is bright because now you have uh, you have that on the resume, right, where you can say, look at what we did with a guy like Solomon Ines or a guy like Brian Thompson. Look what we did. We got him into the NFL. That helps Guy Holiday." Just like it helps Sharif Shaw to say, hey, look what I did with the four-star cornerback Jalen Johnson. You know, we not only relied on his talent, we developed him into a second-round draft pick. He had a lot of the talent. We just had to refine some things with him. He can go to Clark Phillips and say, hey, look what we did, right? That helps Sharif Shaw. Uh, you know, Lewis Powell can, can go to a guy like Van Fillinger and say, look what we did with Bradley and I. Like, he's getting NFL love at Utah. You can do that, too, uh, here at Utah, Van. And look what happens. He signs with Utah. And and so that helps these coaches when you have players that you develop in your program uh, and they turn into NFL draft picks. That's ammunition as coach Whittingham talked about, you know, in his pre-draft media session uh, is that it's ammunition. Everything is, is all about ammunition and things and bullet points that you can use with these recruits. They've already signed a four-star quarterback in this 2021 class with Peter Costelli, they can build around him with some talent, and you know they can point to a guy like Zach Moss uh, in order to add a, a talented running back. They can point to say, "Hey, look at the talent that we've brought in the, in the receiving group," and they can build around it. But they've got to take advantage of it over these next two years and really kind of embrace an offensive culture and offensive identity where it's a little bit more aggressive. You're willing to get your your playmakers involved a little bit more, and I think we saw that towards the end of the year, you know, with Brandt Keithy and and Jalen Dixon stepping up, uh, and Solomon Ennis is in a great position. I think he's got a lot of talent uh, and potential to make it to the NFL. He's got the measurables, the size, and everything like that. So I think Utah is close. Obviously, they've, they've gotten this far relying primarily on their defense, and I think this group uh, of offensive players with Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss and you know the rest of them that have come through the program have gotten it to a point now where they've got enough talent in where they can start – they can take that next step over the next two years where they can start to add some elite talent on the recruiting trail you know, in the future uh, in 2021, 2022, and beyond.
2: Yeah. No, look, I I just – I'm adamant that getting guys into the NFL is um, so influential. And and you would know, Steve. You you kind of talk to these high school kids a ton. You ask them what Utah's pitching them and – and what they're saying to, to try and influence them to come to Utah. But, but I'm adamant that, that if you can get guys into the NFL, that is about as strong of a pitch yeah. as, you know, as, as you could ask for. When national championships in college football is great, all so fair and dandy, you know, and, and, and it's kind of every kid's dream. But at the end of the day, you know, the, these kids also want to make a living playing the game that, assuming they love, and uh, and that's, that's playing in the national football league. So, uh, Utah and I, you know, I don't want to be a Debbie downer. I don't want to come across as if I'm, you know, I'm kind of breaking all the negatives down here. I, I think Utah is on a, a great little trajectory here, a uh, little rocket ship, if you will. And it's upward, you know, it's skybound yeah. and they're climbing. Uh, but the next step for me, and I think for you and, and hopefully for the rest of the fan base, they can agree is, that offensively they, they need to find a way to, uh, to get more drop picks. And it's such – there's this chess match, right, you know, when it comes to your offensive philosophy, in, in my opinion anyway. Because if, if I take you back to – I think it was 20, 2013. Uh, Utah started to implement a bit more of a hurry-up offense. And it didn't quite go to plan. And there, there are a number of reasons as to why. One, they weren't moving the chains you know, uh, as frequently as they needed to. So what was happening was the offense would go out there. They'd they'd run this hurry up before, you know, it. the defense would be back on, on the field. Now with defense Mm -hmm. for them to succeed, you know, you need to have adequate rest. You can't be out on the football field, the entirety of the match, because eventually you're going to wear down and tire. And so, you know, you want the defense to get the rest they need on the sideline so that when their, their time comes, you know, you know that they're fresh and they can make a play offensively you've got to play to your strengths and and for Utah the offensive line and the running back position has been that it's been this grinded grind out kind of mm-hmm. move the chains methodically try and stop the run we dare you you know you're not going to be able to do it and and i think that's also had an impact on some of these offensive skill players that that haven't gotten drafted for Utah in the end. So you've got to find a way to get... Now, you don't have to run a hurry-up offense you know, to get your wide receivers involved. Um, you know, but you do, you do have to find a way to, to move the chains and, uh, and to get your skilled position players involved. And, uh, and for Utah, again, it's this, it's this fascinating chess match that I think Coach Whittingham's been playing out in, uh, in his mind for, for quite some time now So uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's fun I liked what Andy Ludwig did last year You know I, I yeah. like that he, he utilized the wide receivers The tight ends Frank Keithy in particular a ton And uh, he also gave the ball to Their best player on offense And that was Zach Moss So you know you can, you can run that style of offense And be successful yeah. It doesn't have to be a hurry up necessarily Because you do need to give the defense rest
0: In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what Brent Keithy was able to do last year... I finished with you know six hundred two receiving yards, nine total touchdowns was uh just a, a a great playmaker overall. When you look at the NFL draft, a lot of what these teams and organizations are looking for are these utility players that can do a variety of things, whether it be uh a receiver at six foot, two hundred twenty pounds that can run routes and but can also run the ball out of the backfield like a running back. Like it's those types of versatile players that NFL teams are starting to identify. And that's something that Brent Keithy, you know, can do uh, and proved he could do. Uh, Last year with Utah, he had 100 yards rushing on the year, two, I think three, two or three rushing touchdowns. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he proved he could be that type of utility player, uh, kind of that chess piece. Uh, And so uh, I think that's a fascinating thing. And Utah has another tight end in Cole Fotheringham who we don't talk about enough. When you look at the NFL draft and the tight ends that were selected, there were three or four that were selected primarily because of how effective they were as blockers. And I think that is where Cole Fotheringham uh, has embraced his role at Utah. And he's a guy that is on the NFL draft radar just because of how effective he is blocking uh, while still having reliable hands. I think if Utah and Andy Ludwig are willing to feature those guys, I think you could see them declare early, maybe Cole Fotheringham uh, even declare early, uh, but those are guys, and I think Andy Ludwig has proved this throughout his career. he's going to feature his best players, right his most talented players uh, he's going to feature them in the offense, and he's going to get them the ball as as much as he possibly can and so we're 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 seeing Zach Moss move on to the NFL, you know, the running game may not be – we may not see Utah rely on it as much as we did, at least an individual like Zach Moss, right? Like I think there's there's a group of running backs that Utah will rely on and there still will be a heavy uh, reliance on the run game. But I think we'll see multiple running backs involved. And I think we'll see Ludwig more willing to incorporate his pass catchers, feature them. Is, is what I'm trying to get at, feature them a little bit more um, because those guys are the playmakers. Those guys are going to be the ones counted on to make the plays in crunch time. So sh- we should be excited for the offense because it's a great opportunity for them to develop and produce NFL talent, and I think if they do that, that helps them big time down the road. When you look at the future schedules, when you're you're looking at Florida you know on the schedule, Arkansas – you want to add as much elite talent as you can by the time that you, you know, welcome those guys to Salt Lake City and you go to those destinations. You want to have as much elite talent as you can, and so I think Utah understands that. I think they want to feature these offensive playmakers because I, I think they know and, and have realized that that's going to help them on the recruiting trail.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's this conversation can go on for hours because yeah. <laughs> it's uh, well, it's enjoyable and and. Um, yeah, there's a lot to un- unpack, I guess. You, going back quickly to the tight end position, I, I just think it's interesting because prior to the 2019 season starting, Cole Fotheringham was the projected starting tight end to really have an impact. And it ended up being Brant Keithy. So I mm-hmm. imagine something similar happens this year with another position group on, on the offensive side of the ball. Maybe the running backs, you know, somebody, somebody can emerge that... Um, that, that maybe the fan base wasn't quite expecting. So uh, Utah's going to rely on on some young guns in, in 2020, and uh, and hopefully some of them can can kind of blow us all away with uh, how productive they are. Uh, I've got a few things that uh, are worth sharing, Steve. So uh, I, I, I did this piece and I've had this piece, this story up my sleeve for some time, and it's a, I decided this week was the perfect time to bring it out, but Uh, Did you know that Tyler Huntley who is now on uh, the Baltimore Ravens uh, and of course uh, former NFL MVP Lamar Jackson is uh, is kind of the franchise face of Mm -hmm. the Ravens at the minute Tyler Huntley beat Lamar Jackson in high school
1: Steve did you know that yeah yeah I I heard that and was blown away uh, when I heard that and so uh, I knew that they played each other. Uh-huh. I didn't know that Tyler Huntley actually beat him in a game until just a couple hours ago when I saw it come across my, my Twitter timeline. I didn't know that until just a couple hours ago. I knew that they played each other, but I didn't know he beat him. Yeah,
2: so ESPN stole my
1: story. Yeah, ah. I had it out first, and
2: of course the platform at about Sports <laughs> as much as we love them isn't quite as large. As- it's not the mothership. It's not not the mothership. mothership. It's not the mothership. You're right, as Dan Patrick would say. But regardless, yeah, it was a 38-36 win back in 2014. It was October 2014. It was Halloween. So it was the 31st, and it was down there at Hallandale High School. In fact, they won the 6A State District title by beating uh, Boynton Beach, which was where uh, Lamar Jackson played his high school. So there was – okay, here's here's a fun fact. By the way, both quarterbacks were, were wearing gloves, you know, as you do in high school, yeah. you know, it's all mm-hmm. about a swag game. And oh, yeah. their swag was on point on fleek, if uh, if you will, <laughs> as the kids say these days. And uh, 30 seconds left, down two. So Lamar Jackson threw a fade route, a go route to one of his receivers who came down with it in the back of the end zone to go up 35, uh, sorry, 36, 35. And... Uh, and then Tyler Huntley took this drive. You know, he had like a three-play three drive with 30 seconds left. They only had one, one timeout. He got him all the way down to, I think it was like the 11-yard line for a 31-yard field goal. And a kicker by the name of Celso Lopez trotted on. Wow. Never. He, he didn't have a career field goal make prior to this, and he knocked it through the sticks to give... Wow. Um, to give Howlanddale High School a uh, a 36 win, so yeah, impressive. This, the entire game is on YouTube if you care to sit through. I think two, oh yeah, three hours. Um, but it's it's a fun little uh, fun little show, and uh, and I think it's going to be fun. I don't know if if Tyler Huntley makes the Baltimore Ravens roster. He's competing with RG three, who's presumably going to be the backup, and then uh, his main competition is going to be with Trace McSorley, the former Penn State quarterback who was electric in in college he was really fun to watch um so so Tyler's gonna have to beat out McSorley uh, and then I was reading an article that also stated the Ravens generally don't have three quarterbacks on their 53-man roster they normally just have the two so if Huntley is to beat out McSorley he will uh, likely be on the practice squad which is which is still you know a yeah. great accomplishment you know you still make I think 300 odd thousand dollars and you work three days a week you know it's pretty yeah. it's a pretty good gig
1: yeah so i actually looked into that this week so practice practice squad players get seventy five hundred dollars a week so you add that up fifteen thousand every two weeks thirty thousand every month you get paid from september to january however long the season is so that's four months that's one hundred twenty thousand for being a practice squad player that ain't bad right that's not bad
2: that's not so, bad because I've spoken to uh, Brian Blacken, you know, former linebacker/slash safety, mm-hmm. who now is out of the league. He's actually coaching at like, uh, boy, coaching at Colorado State something, something down there.
1: Polytechnic.
2: Yeah, whatever, whatever <laughs> the hell that is. He's coaching down there. But uh, I was talking to him back in the day when he was on the practice squad, and he said, you know, it's it's a pretty good gig, Tommy. Yeah, you know, he's gone. We work three days a week, you know, we have to show up for practice three days a week and we're in the gym uh, every day, kind of, Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, perfecting the craft, if you will, trying to make the 53-man roster. So uh, you don't have to travel, you can hang out, watch the games, go to the local pub, uh, sit on your couch, watch it, whatever whatever you're into. Uh, And so anyway, regardless, we hope Tyler Huntley can can kind of make that Baltimore Ravens 53-man roster. I, I, I just hope um, uh, Lamar Jackson's forgiven him for uh, for the nightmares back in yeah. 2014 on Halloween, but uh, yeah. see. they're good friends. Regardless, all those South Florida guys are close, so uh, it'll be it'll be fun. Antonio Brown as well is. Uh, is is also kind of a part of that crew, uh, and it'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see. I got a sneaky suspicion AB is going to end up on the Ravens. I, I don't know why. I think we'll, we'll see. Mark Jackson's <laughs> going to have some sort of input there. But uh, well, there was these rumors he was going to be on the Tampa Bay Bucks, you know, following kind of Tom Brady. Tom mm-hmm. and AB had uh, continued their relationship and developed that, and uh, but at the minute he's he's still. Uh, a a free agent if you will so uh oh we can't get out of here before talking about just quickly um if you happen to be listening to this podcast on friday we apologize um for kind of doing it a little later in the week uh but regardless it's friday may 1st right now when we're recording this tonight on espn is alex smith's e60 docuseries debut that profiles obviously the the horrific um,
1: leg injury
2: injury that he suffered nearly took his life it was it was that bad um and so if you're up for that apparently it's you know it might be gruesome you might have to close your eyes at times if you if you're not one to stomach certain images of uh of black kind of the you know black and bruised purple green whatever color The, the skin of, of the, yeah. the leg that he hurt was, you know, was screws coming in and out of it. Anyway, regardless, we don't need to go into detail. That airs tonight. So Utah fans will hopefully be uh, enjoying that. I'm sure the Twitter world will be uh, all over that to so tune in uh, to ESPN for that. Uh, and then, of course, you know, uh, if you missed the 04 and 08 great Ute debate, please go ahead. Check it out. It's on the Castle Sports Facebook and YouTube platforms. Uh, I know you guys had a message board as well, Steve, uh, over yep. there at Ute Zone, um, that you can you can go go check out. Uh, how much is a su- subscription these days to to Ute Zone, Steve? Uh,
1: it's typically ten dollars a month if you want to do a monthly type of a thing. Uh, we are running a special now, thirty percent off. Uh, off of your your monthly subscription so i think it's like 6.99 or something like that so we're always running specials uh you know so so pay pay close attention we we we're producing a lot of content the the conversation though on our vip board you know with our members we have uh a huge huge community uh, of youth fans that are at youth zone and, and they are the ones that's why you subscribe to UteZone is for the conversation on, on the VIP board, just because it's never ending and it's it's fun, it's entertaining, it can be intense sometimes where you're going back and forth, like the O four oh eight debate. You know, we had some fun with that, going back and forth between, you know, who we thought was better. So that was fun to, to join in on that conversation as well. So uh, who who you got in that that debate there, Tom? You going 0-4 or you going 0-8? eight? I'm going 0-8. Steve. uh,
2: The reason I'm doing that is, is because I, you know, I think that the Alabama win personally was better than the Fiesta bowl win. Um, I think that was more impressive. And then if you kind of break down at the time, the mountain West conference and the strength of the mountain West conference, the 08 year was, was stronger. So TCU wasn't in the conference back in 04. Um, They were in, in 08, they were number seventh team. Mm-hmm. in the country uh, and then BYU was ranked number 25 so they had three ranked teams in 08 in the Mountain West conference in 04 I don't think they had one uh, besides besides Utah so um so that I guess you know pretty pretty self-explanatory for me um I I think you know just the standard of football the standard of the opponent was better in 08 so I'll have to give the nod uh, to them, but if you missed the great debate, who? Well, I guess who are you going
1: with, Steve? I'm going. I'm going four, man. They still played Texas A&M, Arizona, North Carolina in, that season, so they they still had a, a good schedule. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't you know Michigan, it wasn't TCU, it wasn't Alabama, obviously, and they got robbed in that Fiesta Bowl matchup with getting pit. Like, are you kidding me? pit? Yeah. you're going to give Utah number nineteen, pit? Come yeah. on, don't waste our time with that. Utah deserved better in that bowl game, uh, and I think part of part of it was just how dominant they were uh, and and it was a lot of fun to watch that team. They executed at an unbelievable level, a lot of fun to watch that o four team, but you can't go wrong either way here, right like oh eight oh four who really cares? like both were great. I
2: know no it was and, and the debate was fun you know so you had, yeah. From 04, you had Eric Weddle, you know, you know arguably yeah. the greatest dude of all time. Uh, he was teamed up with, with of course, Quinton Gant, uh, the, the running back, who's now up at Weber State as an assistant coach, um, going up against Brian Johnson, BJ, and Stevenson Sylvester, the, uh, the former linebacker, hosted by Trevor Allen, who I thought did a fantastic job. Um, it was fun. It was about an hour and 10 minutes. So kind of just put it on, uh, listen to it while you're going through your work and uh and, and have some fun with it that way um but steve this has been fun uh, i can tell on yeah. we, we do this on zoom you're frozen at the minute so i sure hope you can yeah, still you hear too. me
1: yeah I, I can okay good
2: well before this crashes entirely uh it's probably best we say so long goodbye thank you so much uh don't forget com. for all the latest uh, sporting news in the state of utah of of utezone.com for all your uh, local Utah conversation. There's no better place in the market than utezone.com. Steve, uh, travel safe. Okay, drive Will safe do. tomorrow. Um, and I look forward uh, to seeing your face back in back in uh, the Salt Lake area. It's been too long, man. We've missed you.
1: Yes, yes. Excited, man. Enjoy your weekend. We'll be back at it next week. I'm excited to get back recording with you next week. Um, all right, Steve. Be
2: well. We'll see you guys soon.